0: following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, good evening. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Okay, well, let's turn our Bibles, please, to Isaiah 59. Getting close to the end here now of Isaiah already. And I think I don't need to have this, so I'll just set it aside. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But here's the issue. Nothing's changed in God, right? Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. You see that the problem in the island of Crete that we studied this morning is nothing new. It's all just the same human nature and different manifestations. Even the nation of Israel, who knew better because they had the law of God, the oracles, the priesthood, the service, the sacrifices, and all the rest, they still went astray in these ways. Verse 6, "...their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands." Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, And as for our iniquities, we know them in transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter, so truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression and Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Well, there's a hidden little gem of a new covenant text there, isn't there, at the end of that segment of Isaiah 59. Well, looking forward to those days for sure all right let's uh put on our thinking caps here now we're going to go back to where we were before uh, this morning Uh, i introduced the topic of critical race theory in a somewhat different kind of message than what i often do because it's such a need right now for us to have some understanding of it we i received a question by email Uh, which is what I used to introduce this morning's message. I'll just review some of this. Uh, The question was, is Fellowship Bible Church a woke church? Do you espouse critical race theory? That's a direct quote from the email that I received through the church website. And I answered the person who asked, but I thought it would be good for us to just think through this issue together some. And my answer is, in short, absolutely not. We are not a woke church. Uh, We do not... Uh, espouse critical race theory, we reject it, and we're going to look at why uh, in the rest of this message uh, tonight. We said, spent most of the morning this morning in the 945 session answering uh, or, or saying this, making this assertion and then showing it from the scriptures that critical race theory is a false gospel, CRT is a false gospel. And what I did was I set the biblical teaching of the gospel of Christ, of sin and of redemption, in direct opposition to or showed it side by side with the ideas of critical race theory. We saw, for example, that in CRT, the original sin of humanity is racism or systemic racism, uh, which is a very reductionist approach to what sin is. Sin is much wider or bigger than that. It's any act or attitude that fails to meet up to God's holy standard, including favoritism or partiality, among other things, many, many, many other things. But racism is not the original sin uh, of the world. In fact, it's kind of an odd thing to think about that because even a great proponent of this CRT view, Kendi himself, says that basically the origins of it in the West were from a book from 1453. He's a little late to the game, I would say, because racism and ethnocentrism existed far before that. I'll demonstrate that a little later. Probably in the in the notes here in our in our talk, uh, we we saw that uh, the solution for sin in CRT was really the swapping of oppressor with oppressed. Those classifications are very important in that system. Instead of the substitution of Christ for the sinner, you have the the uh, solution they offer of the social gospel, not the gospel of Christ. Uh, we see in the scriptures that government is supposed to be an agent uh, to punish evildoers and praise those who do well, but CRT and the whole milieu of things today, wokeism and all of that, sees government as an institution that promulgates the problem and needs to be overthrown. Um, the basic bottom line of our message this morning was that the ideas of critical race theory really arise out of and are an adaption of liberation theology. Have you heard of liberation theology? So liberation theology sees um, the gospel in terms of like the narrative in Exodus. People were liberated from Egypt, and so salvation is today. Anyone who is oppressed, a slave, poor, or something of that, some lower class, Salvation comes to them when they are redeemed out of, they are rescued from that situation, and that is what salvation is to them. So whenever they hear the word salvation or liberation or the gospel, that is what they're thinking of, not being rescued from our sin and brought into a relationship with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. So they look at the scriptures entirely differently. Liberation theology is not new. It's uh, fairly old, it's kind of more, I'm going to say, in recent history, it came up in the 1970s in the context of Latin American Christianity, also African uh, spirituality and theology. And um, so it's just kind of re, re, you know, it's redux here. It's just uh, all over again the same thing, deja vu. Uh, that we have this kind of theology. It's just in a different format, but it's very similar. We re- received some uh, feedback from you all and uh, had a little discussion towards the end of the session, and I gave a few points that I thought were uh, in- important for us to be clear on from the beginning. Um, and I was, I was gratified that a number of people thought that it was a helpful session this morning and um, was done in a I hope, sensitive way that, uh, you know, did not overstate or understate the case. But I want to be clear about a few things before I move on to some definitions because there's so many new words going around now, new concepts, we need to be familiar with some of those things. So I said in, in terms of trying to be clear here, racism exists, that's true, because sin exists. Sin is one in one form or fashion, uh is is exhibited in racism or maybe to say it backwards racism is one kind of sin but there are many other kinds of sin i mean some people racism doesn't matter at all to them they just want money greed others they want personal pleasure so immorality is their thing Uh, sensual pleasure doesn't matter if it's black or white or green they just want the pleasure so racism is just one of many sins the scripture tells us that it's the opposite of love for your neighbor. Leviticus 19.18 laid that principle out uh, thousands of years ago that we're supposed to love our neighbors. That's a divine principle that goes, you know, is valid for all time. Uh, Racism is a form of hatred and partiality. James chapter 2, my brethren, do not show favoritism. Remember the illustration James uses, guy comes in, poor guy, rich guy. You treat the rich guy well, the poor guy not so well, and you've shown favoritism. That way, that is a sin. That's a class-based example, but you could do any example, uh, race-based, ethnic-based. You know, he could have just as easily said, "Look, you have a, a Jewish person come in, and you have a Samaritan come in, and you treat the Samaritan poorly, and you treat the Jewish person nicely." You know, um, you have a government official come in, and then you have you know a peon come in. <laughs> okay, you treat the government official well, and you treat the the serf, uh, not so well. It's, the same principle applies. Uh, secondly, we said not every white person is a racist. Again, because of the idea that sin manifests in so many different ways, not everybody exercises that particular sin uh, in their life. I said some p- black people are racist too. White people are, some are as well. Uh, but not everybody displays depravity in the same way. Uh, there do happen egregious incidents that are racist in nature. There are uh, other incidents that may appear to be that way, but they are not upon further investigation and we need to uh, hold our fire until we you know, find out the answer to the matter, uh, get both sides of the story. We looked at the issue of inequalities as well this morning and said some inequalities are because of uh, external oppression. Other inequalities are because of personal choices that are poor. Um, and others are simply because of the accidents, I call it, of life. We gave it just a con- an example of a hurricane. Hurricane comes and wipes out your town. Well, all of a sudden you're pretty uh, unequal to say your neighbors down the road a few miles that didn't have the hurricane come in. But there's no, there's no fault of, of, uh, of racism or anything of that nature. Um, we left off here. Let me give you this one now. This is number five on my list. Judging motivations is a slippery business, but it seems that many people assume it is possible to correctly judge motivations. So the motivations for so-called hate crime, they, you know, they know immediately. Okay? If it's uh, a crime against Asian people, it happened to be against Asians, it was probably an Asian hate crime. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. Um, the motivations for hate crime may simply be that the criminal hates all people equally. You know, you're looking for a rational explanation, especially among some of these things like mass shootings, where you have a person who is just a crazed individual. The, you know, trying to get into their head is is a losing proposition because they're 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 not thinking logically. Sometimes may or may not have a particular opprobrium for a person of a different ethnicity. A police officer may have fired his gun because he was afraid for his life, not because of the, the opposite skin color of the person uh, who he was facing at that time. Uh, maybe it was because the person was threatening someone or the officer with a knife that the officer had to do that terrible thing in order to save lives. Has had nothing to do with race in that situation. Number uh, six, or letter F in my notes, You can; these notes are updated on the website if you want to get them. Uh, they're there. Statistics are often skewed or ignored entirely in this debate. Statistics of crime or police shootings are left out, and sweeping generalizations or exaggerations are used to make a point. But I implore you, do not accept such statements. Check them out critically first. Uh, there's, you know, in in popular media, I mean like rap songs. The idea is that white cops go around and kill black people all the time. Is that true? Objectively, is that true? No, it's not. But that media has become popularized in the culture and so uncritically, if you think, I mean, if you ask the man on the street, how many people are killed by police every year? You'd probably get some wild numbers. That are not even close to accurate to the actual data. So we have to look at, at data very carefully. Letter G, the or oh, we already talked about this one. We, we mentioned this morning about the organization BLM is not the same thing as the obviously true statement that black lives do matter. Okay, that's clear. So when I was speaking with somebody afterwards, I said the strange thing is that what is happening is there's kind of a a mislabeling going on. Um, they label the organization by the words BLM in order to receive uh, acceptance and adoption, but that's not really what their organization is about because there are lots of black lives that they don't really care about. Babies who are aborted in inner cities, for example, or young people who are killed in uh, gang violence in cities, for example, are two critical examples of that. And so. They want to gain acceptance by a good-sounding name, but the meaning underneath that name is entirely different. And so the two things, we have to separate those two things. This has been often observed. But what they're doing is using a deceptive language. Now, as Christians, do we use deceptive language? Not at all. We are tasked with speaking the truth in love, even if that truth is not convenient or whatever. All right. My next point. I want to be clear about race is a socially constructed division of humanity. It's not a biblical category. Am I right on that, brother? Yeah. It's not a biblical category. We said this this morning. I mean, we all came from two people. We didn't come from an evolutionary forest of chimpanzees that some of which turned into humans. You didn't. Maybe somebody else did. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's very frustrating because, and I think this, this may help you. I feel sometimes like I'm in a no-man's land when I'm looking at the culture around us, and I'm saying, you know, these people on the CRT side are talking, and what they're doing is talking to other people that are not Christians, but maybe they're conservatives or they're, you know, something else. And they're talking like this, and I'm sitting back here like I'm a third party, and I'm like, what are they doing? Because, see, they don't think in the categories that we think in. They, they do not. If they had a robust biblical theology that taught them that, yes, we in fact all came from Adam and Eve, or Shem, Ham, and Japheth, if we want to be more, you know, 1600 and some years closer to us in the biblical timeline, Fine, but we all came from those individuals. There is no, uh, there's not an idea of you know many, many different races. There are many ethnicities, of course, many people groups, many tribes, tongues, nations, and those things. Those are biblical terms, but race, uh, not so much. Um, letter I CRT promotes what it claims to fix. It promotes what it claims to fix, that is discrimination. Listen to Ibram X. Kendi, one of the most prominent critical race theorists right now an author of How to Be an Anti-Racist. He wrote this, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. There's no end point when enough present or future discrimination has evened out the scales and then we can return to a complete equality. You have to understand, I mean, these are, this is a, co- a quotation. Somebody actually thinks that we're going to solve discrimination by discrimination. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Start over. Go back to the drawing board, friend. It doesn't work that way. Kendi also claims that racism started in a significant way in 1453 with the publication of a biography of a Portuguese Prince Henry and his transatlantic slave trade of African people. He's supposed to be kind of the, the uh, author of or the beginner of the transatlantic slave trade. It was, he claims, a work to save their souls, not to make money. This is the origin of the white savior theology, which he says, quote, is the oldest racist idea, he claims in September 27th last year in a tweet. Uh, Let me see if I can unpack that for you a moment. What he's saying is that if the white man thinks that by going to a place and preaching the gospel, or in this case, taking slaves and um, what would be the word, um, civilizing them, that he's saving them, then the idea, the, the, that is the idea of the white savior theology, that the white is the savior of the slave. You with me? Okay, so that's his notion. It's not simply savior theology, although I think he's, he objects strenuously to that as well. He's thinking of savior not as Jesus Christ, most certainly, in the way that the scripture teaches. But he, in the end, is still making a twisted attack on Christian theology, which has nothing to do, that is, Christian theology has nothing to do with the slave trade. To conflate Christianity and slavery is to commit a severe logical fallacy. The two, And, and the reason you know that is because Christianity is being preached in this book and and it existed alongside of slavery. And Paul had to deal with, okay, I'm not a social revolutionary. I have no levers of power. I cannot get rid of slavery immediately. I think God planned that slavery would be almost eliminated. It's not eliminated, but greatly reduced by the influence of Christianity over the ensuing centuries. But immediately Paul knew that that was not going to be the case. And, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me go on with my notes. 1,400 years before Henry's initiation of the transatlantic slave trade, slavery and Christianity were existing side by side. And slavery had been practiced centuries before. Do we know that? Slavery was practiced for centuries before Christianity ever came on the face of the earth. Okay, Christianity has nothing to do with it in the sense of being uh, co-partners with it. If anything... Christianity was the death knell for slavery in the long run. Of course, I understand that some so-called Christians have made pretend that the Bible support, supported them in their position. False again. Very wrong. Okay? The Bible did not. <laughs> it's just strange how people can take the Bible and turn it upside down. You, know what, you remember what the Bible said about man-stealing? The death penalty, okay? If you want to follow the Bible with regard to slavery, start killing slave traders back in the day. That was the answer. But anyway, I speak uh, very energetically about that because it makes me sick to think about it, how people were treated. Slavery uh, was practiced for a long time in human history, and the New Testament interacted with it by instructing masters and servants how to conduct themselves in a Christian manner. The apostles made no direct attack on the system because their mission was more critical, the redemption of souls under the wrath of God. Okay, let me try to say that again. As important as slavery is, and Christianity, as I said, is the driving force to actually eliminate it, there is another much and larger problem than slavery. Wouldn't you, would you agree with that, or is that... That's one manifestation of wickedness. Um, you know, we could say that sim- a similar thing about poverty. It is a big problem, but Christianity does not exist to solve poverty because poverty is a temporary problem which will be gone in eternity. Will it not? The same with slavery. There will be no slavery in heaven, thank God. And But we're not primarily concerned with that. Yes, we are concerned. It's kind of like with the abortion issue. We hate it. We want to do what we can to reduce it, but we don't primarily exist to change the system or go to the Supreme Court and get them to overturn Roe versus Wade. We primarily exist to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to bring them to faith in Christ, baptize them, teach them to observe everything that God is, Christ has commanded us, and then when we do that, they won't get abortions anymore. They won't steal, buy, and sell slaves anymore. You know, they'll help the poor, or they'll be industrious and work so that they will lift themselves by the normal means out of poverty, and so on. Now, Kendi also says, Savior theology informs racism. Liberation theology informs anti-racism. So there's the justification for the idea that liberation theology is at the center of CRT, critical race theory. Actually, the Christian teaching of reconciliation to God and loving one's neighbor informs the true solution to racism, not racism itself. In other words, true Christianity doesn't inform racism. True Christianity breaks the back of racism because it teaches us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Sadly, Kendi does not understand the Bible. He may know some facts that are distantly related to it, but he doesn't understand the Bible John chapter 4 and verse number 9 shows us that the world was dealing with ethnocentrism long before 1453. Remember John chapter 4 and verse number 9? Why do you ask me, you being a Jewish man, me a Samaritan woman, to drink? Because, the text said, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They hated them. You remember, you've been all taught, they would travel around Samaria the long way just to avoid going to be near to those people who were of a different race, if you will, in the, in the world's terminology, a different ethnicity. Racism has been around a lot even longer than that. Um, let me mention, too, uh, if somebody's listening online to this, who isn't a a proponent of CRT, what they're gonna say is something like this. That pastor is exhibiting his white fragility in pushing back against this because uh, CRT and and, uh, anti-racism are are threats to him. No, in fact, if anti-racism was indeed just against racism and not for Marxism and all the other things that it's connected to, I have no problem with being against racism we are very much against racism. Our preaching has been that way for centuries. Centuries. Personally, mine, of course not, because I'm not that old. But um, the idea is that you, when, you put, when you object to this teaching, they say, well, you're just being, exhibiting your fragileness as a white person. And that's their way of dismissing your arguments. You cannot say anything because you're not allowed to say anything. You're allowed to just sit down and be quiet because you're the wrong race. Um, And so that's how they shut down opposition. Okay? Now, that is completely wrong. It's a wrong-headed approach because it doesn't allow them to listen to, remember, they're shooting arrows over here, and these people are shooting arrows over here, and Christians are of a different type altogether we're a third category. We're trying to say to these people, look, you need to be redeemed. You need to be in a proper relationship with God, and then you'll understand the the truth of the matter. Um, and so they shut down their ears to any kind of criticism or other facts or things like that. We have, well, at least I could say this. I thought on the way over here, it's kind of Interesting, because that's how they would say, look, you just don't understand. You're just totally missing the boat. We have almost a similar kind of idea in Christian theology. First Corinthians chapter 2 tells us this. The unregenerate man, the natural man, over here in the CRT camp and over here in whatever camp they're shooting at, uh, they cannot understand the things of God. And that's not us not listening to them, that's us saying in them is a fundamental flaw because they're lost where they cannot understand spiritual truth. It's discerned by means of the Holy Spirit who is not residing in them and who is not teaching them who are unredeemed and so they simply cannot understand. We can talk about you're under the wrath of God and you need to be saved, and Christ died for your sins. And, I mean, it might as well be that they are students in the Charlie Brown classroom. You know what I'm saying? And all they're hearing us saying is, wah, 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 you know? It doesn't, make any, it doesn't mean anything to them. They really don't understand it, even if they try to assign some meaning to the words and things. They, they don't. We need to pray for the souls of those who are battling it out back and forth, And in the end, fighting that battle is not going to do them any good, because they need to be saved so that they can have eternal life and a true understanding of these matters. Now, I think in the time, well, at least before we run out, I want to make sure that we understand one term at least. I've got a um, whole glossary here of probably 15 or more terms, and... But I want to make sure we understand one, which is the term "woke," because I've asked myself this question, and perhaps you have as well. What exactly does that mean? What exactly does that mean? And if you're familiar with the, the literature or you're familiar with how it's used in society, you kind of you can kind of get an intuitive idea of what it is, but it's a little hard to grasp onto. <clears throat> and by the way, the um, the multiplication of new terms, new ideas that have come out of academia show that what is the real, the kind of bigger picture of all this is that what they're trying to do is drive social or societal change by using new concepts and ideas. What they're trying to do is uh, undermine the language, rip out the foundation of language and replace it with something else so that you can say X but it means Y. Or you can say with some new word and uh, express some idea, and you're going to be changing the the, the whole conversation and the culture. Woke is, short and short here, an adjective describing someone who is alert to injustice in society, especially racism. That's Oxford languages via Google. Someone who is naive to such issues would not be woke Someone who knows about such issues but does not actively campaign for the progressive agenda is also considered to be unwoke. You with me? So woke used to mean I'm aware, but now it means not only I'm aware, but I'm doing something about it. There's a more lengthy article on this, I'll just take some uh, excerpts from. The word was first printed according to this source. In a 1962 New York Times essay by the author William uh, Melvin Kelly. Okay, so it's it's actually not of you know it's doesn't, it doesn't wasn't created like two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago. It comes from way back. But that's often how academia works. What 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 comes up in Germany comes over by higher criticism and education over to the U.S. and we follow them shortly behind. The, the, them and the times, and then what's in our academia comes out and it affects the society in some number of years. Some of things happen in seminary. You know, the seminaries are teaching, you know, some false doctrine today. Ten years from now, it's going to be in all the churches, okay? Uh, so what is woke? Well, it's the past participle of wake. That's not really what it is in our context, though, right? For decades, it was just that. It meant, it meant conscious and aware. But the slang word has come to represent an embrace of progressive activism as well. There's the key thing. Merriam-Webster added the word to its dictionary in 2017, defining it as aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. The Oxford Dictionary adopted it also in 2017, defining it as originally it meant well-informed or up-to-date. Now chiefly, alert to racial or social discrimination and injustice. It's a slang term that is easing into the mainstream from some varieties of a dialect called African American Vernacular English, A-A-V-E, according to Merriam-Webster. In that dialect, awake is often rendered as woke, as in I was sleeping, but now I'm woke. Okay? Don't you be laughing back there. I'm just reading the source, brother. He and I have very wonderful conversations about these issues uh, when we share lunch together. And uh, we should actually just have one of those conversations in front of you all so you could hear it. Uh, Quite interesting. African-American Vernacular English is what the official name of this is now. And it's uh, it's rendered awake as woke. The meaning has shifted some after uh, the 2008 song "I Stay Woke" by a guy named Badu. I don't know these this at all uh, because I'm not into music. Um, After the song came out, "Stay Woke" became a watchword in parts of the black community for those who were self-aware, questioning the dominant paradigm and striving for something better. Um, And then we. The reason that this has kind of come to the forefront, I think, is some major events. Uh, George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin's situation, and then the police-involved shooting of Michael Brown. And those really elevated the, uh, the whole situation. So a whole wave of Black Lives Matter activism emerged around the country. And it went from uh, a hashtag to a rallying cry. Um, so instead of being a word that signaled awareness, of injustice or racial, racial tension. It became a word of action. Activists were woke and called on others to stay woke. Um, here's, a, here's an example of the kind of overstatement that I, I mentioned earlier about statistics being thrown out. How can I pledge allegiance to the flag, a rapper sings in his final verse, when they killin all our sons, all our dads? So the idea is, look, they're killing all of us. How can, we be, how can we have any allegiance to this flag or this nation? Well, because it's over, far overstated. Uh, the meaning of woke evolved again with the rise of cancel culture. As the two terms saw increased use, they became intertwined in the public consciousness. Often someone gets canceled after they say something insensitive, something that's not woke or woke enough. Though it's, I think it's starting to... Uh, it's starting to eat itself up actually from the inside. There's people who are woke and then there are people who are more woke and the more woke cancel the less woke and uh, you get into a real kind of carnage situation there. Um, Many people now interpret woke to be a way to describe people who would rather silence their critics than listen to them. That relates to that whole idea of you know, saying, well, you, you're not, what you're saying is not worthy of listening because you're just being defensive. White fragility is just, you know, being defensive basically in, uh, in their mindset. So uh, that's entirely different than what the word meant when it first appeared in print. There was a 62, the New York Times article was about beatniks and pop culture, absorbing jazz music and African American slang from Harlem, Oxford revealed in a 2017 article about new words heading into the dictionary. The article was written by William Melvin Kelly. Was entitled "If You're Woke, You Dig It," meaning if you're in the know, you understand. Okay, so it's obviously it's you know could I use the phrase the term has evolved, and you understand what I mean? Yeah, over time. Okay, so um, I have a few more minutes here. Let's talk about a few other terms. You have anti-racism which you as, as a Christian, many Christians think, well, that's, there's, obviously we're against racism. I mean, that's obvious. The Bible's against racism. Um, and it seems that, you know, on the surface, it is as this one definition says, the policy or practice of opposing racism and promoting racial tolerance. However, policy or belief is not enough. If you're not actively involved in dismantling supposedly racist systems, then you're not anti-racist. So you can't be anti-racist if you're not out with the marches and doing the activism and those sorts of things. Anti-racism is the now new definition here. The active process of identifying and eliminating racism by changing systems, organizational structures, policies, and practices, and attitudes so that power is redistributed and shared equitably. Boy, that's a big change from regular what you would think by the root meaning of anti-racism is. That's a big, big change. So Christians who say, yeah, I'm anti-racist, I think they're saying a little bit more, some of them are, than what they really mean. Others really do mean the whole nine yards of this. So suddenly the definition shifts from race to power. You see that in that definition? Power and, and, uh, and wealth too, for that matter, redistributed and shared equally. So not only to remove racism now, but also with the goal to redistribute power. Racism and power are integrally tied together. You can see that because you have the notion that those that are racist are the ones that are in power, and they express that racism upon those who they hate. Okay, another term, cancel culture. I've heard this a lot, you have as well, and we kind of know what it is by osmosis but is defined as the practice of withdrawing support for or canceling public figures and companies after they have done or said something objectionable or offensive. Now this cult, this is not just limited to Twitter and Facebook now. Okay. People are canceled and they lose their jobs. That is a mark of a communist society. By the way, you, you lose the ability to be employed and you're driven into poverty quickly. Because you don't hold to the party line, so to speak. Now we don't call it the party here, the Communist Party, but we—it's basically the same thing. It's uh, enforced by social media giant companies and and uh, and things like that. Uh, and I've advocated people to really push back against this because it does uh, it does seem to me to undermine uh, the. Uh, the, the employment laws that we have developed over the years uh, just in a new and different way than what was considered before. Um, normally cancel culture is associated with a company or individual being swamped by critical social media posts on Twitter and Facebook. A targeted person may end up losing their job and, and they're never able to make atonement for their quote unquote sin uh, that way. Um, by the way, some of that too is uh, that that canceling, uh, that kind of swamping of a company is actually fake. There are people who have, you know, uh, basically farms or we'll call them bots that just reproduce negative statements over and over and over again and make it look, you know, to the advertising company that, uh, you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that really hate them when in fact it's, a few computer programmers that have put that stuff out there. So it's uh, as you would expect the devil and the systems that he promotes, they're all based on deceptions and lies. Communism, it's another term in this as well. Political philosophy which promotes class war as a means to remove private ownership and capitalist economics. It's directly opposed to religious freedom. Okay, Christianity and freedom of thought in general, and socialism is related to that. Let's see, um, let me give you one more here, and I know I'm overwhelming you with data, so we're gonna do that and then pause, catch our breath. Critical race theory, in the definition of it now, according to a paper by Nicholas Hartlep, CRT is an examination of its past, present, I'm sorry, CRT, an examination of past, present, and future implications. He says this, there are five major components or tenants. Number one, the notion that racism is ordinary and not aberrational. The idea of an interest convergence. I'll mention that again. The social construction of race. Four, the idea of storytelling and counter storytelling. And five, the notion that whites have actually been the recipients of civil rights legislation. Interest convergence. Back to that idea is the idea that where the interests of whites are improved by working on racial progress, they will participate. There's no convergence to their interests, however, with legislation, for example, like that. They will not participate, since their interests and the interests of the minorities diverge at that point. Um, CRT also emphasizes the concepts of race, of law, and of power. Whites, I say in the notes here, is supposed to have constructed law in such a way as to maintain their power. Structures of society are responsible for causing race problems, not in, not individuals. Okay, It's not individuals who are sinners, but it's the systems which have promoted this racism. Therefore, the structures have to be changed. All right, I said I would stop there, and so I will. I'm going to mark my notes, and then I'm going to ask if you have any input or questions uh, for us on this in the next couple minutes, and then we'll fold up and go home, okay? Anybody have any question or concern, comment about this? What we're trying to do is look at CRT and the related ideas through the biblical lens. And uh, I felt that this was necessary to spend the time on this because it is so widespread. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in your workplaces. D-E-I, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion. Uh, It's in the news all the time. It's entering into many churches. Thus the question, is your church a woke church? And it's seen to be a mark or badge of honor. We are, some people say, you know, churches, we're woke. That means we're good, we're loving people. But they don't know what they're embracing. And we're looking at that very carefully Uh, You know, you almost figure, if it's a new doctrine, it's wrong. Because Christian theologians have had 2,000 years to hash out what the text of Scripture means and what God's desire is for humanity. I mean, people who come along and say, you know, salvation is whatever, 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 they're a little late to the game. Theologians have been thinking about this for centuries and come up with something new is just out of, uh, out of place. It's out of place. Yes. Yes. Love hate. Mm-hmm. Darkness, with darkness, it needs to yes. just struck me as a not a comparison because they're not saying the yeah. same things by any means, but just, like, just a, a helpful thought. Yeah, our sister is saying that she has read something from Martin Luther King. Jr. who said that you can't fight hate with hate, darkness with darkness. And the, the quote that, I was, uh, that I, she was referring to was the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. And so I, what I said this morning applies, and I'll say it again, a lot of this is based on hatred and vengeance. We have to get even is really the, is really the idea at the base, and uh, I I could not say or be convinced that it's based on love, this whole CRT system. And the evidence is in the fruit of it. You will know them by their fruits. Uh, Ideas that lead to death and destruction are not ideas of love, okay? And that is what we're facing with this, so... Very difficult. Anybody else? Jansen? Two things. Okay, the question is what does he mean when he says anti-racist discrimination? My focus wasn't particularly on the how, but on the what, that it is discrimination. That you have to take the power structures that are the oppressor and the oppressed, and you have to do this to it. You have to flip it, because that's the only way to solve. In a way, it's like we've got to teach them a lesson. Okay, That's not how they say it, I know. But that's in effect the idea, that we have to teach them a lesson by taking the oppressor and putting them down, raising the oppressed up, so they get their turn. Okay. Second question? Yeah, Jansen's question is, would I say that critical race theory is a repackaging of of liberation theology? And that is basically true. You know, like, I'll give you kind of a parallel example. The Cultural Revolution in China was a class-based warfare thing under Mao. And so you had one class, and, and they would do doing very similar things to what we see today here. If you heard uh, uh, the one uh, woman who, who survived the purge, so to speak, in China and here in the United States, she is saying that very same thing that I'm reflecting, that what's happening here is what happened there. It's just that instead of the classes like they were there, they've just pulled those out and plugged in race. Otherwise, it's the exact same thing that's happening, okay? So, um, yes, if you take liberation theology and you, you know, kind of twiddle a few knobs and a few dials on it and change it a little bit, you get the exact same thing. That's my contention at this point. Uh, it's, is it exact same? No, but it's very similar. And with Kendi himself saying, liberation theology informs anti-racism, what he's basically saying is that, that his liberation theology is the underpinning thought process that drives this uh, forward in Christian circles. So it is liberation theology, which I wanted to emphasize this morning and tonight to help you to realize, even though it's kind of new, because there's new language, it's not really new at all. It's another one of the various heresies that the church has to deal with, and it rears its ugly head every once in a while, and uh, you know every, every generation, or every 40 or 50 years, or every 100 years, and you have to deal with it all over again under new terminology, with new words, new names, new persons that are supporting it, and all of that. But it's, it's really nothing that is totally unheard of before, nothing new under the sun, so to speak. Yes, sir. just going to say the same thing. I mean, things I keep in mind. One, it is good to know about this stuff, right? Yes. But, like you said, there is nothing new under the sun. And the Secret Service, you know, they don't always study all the time, you know, counterfeit. Mm-hmm. They study the actual currency. Yes. So, I really want to stress that we need to make sure we know God's Word. Right. And know that. And be understanding so we're not naive, but yet know when there's false gospel. Yes. So we're being exhorted by our brother here to know the Bible, to know God's word, to know the true gospel, so that we will not be fooled by a, a fake article that comes along, a, uh, a false idea. And really, the better your training is here, your antennas are going to go up when you hear this false doctrine. You're going to say, "Wait a minute, that's not where I, what I see in the Bible at all." And I, I've had luck where I can bring it back to scripture. Bring it back. Yes, yes. All right, somebody else? Yes, Carolyn? Um, it seems like the emphasis on race doesn't really cover all races. For example, the Jewish race, many of these folks are anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a race. Yes. why do they just focus in? just Well, that's, uh, motivations are slippery things to try to uh, get a hold of them. But uh, the question has to do with why the focus on, in anti-racism on one race, because there are, according to them, now not to us, but according to them, there are many races and, uh, of course, if you belong to, uh, you know, if you're a white Christian, for example, you don't, you don't really get support from that group. If you're a Jewish person, you don't necessarily either. Um, Indian, Asian, you know, um, it's specifically focused on the, on the, I think because the problem is perceived to be white against black racism. That's the main big issue that's driving this. And so that's why the focus on on that one thing. Again, we're standing outside of that debate and we're saying, look, guys, <laughs> there's a lot more than white versus black. There's a lot more going on here. There are many more sins than just racism. And you folks are, you know, embroiled in all of that, hatred and vengeance and greed and, and, and anger and everything, and you're dying and going to be apart from Christ for eternity. Listen, listen to what we're saying. But the churches are hearing this and they're saying, well, we're, we're going to pick sides on this and we're going to be woke so that we can be good, because that feels good, and, um, and many of them just simply don't know what they're doing or what they're talking about, and, uh, and others do, um, you know, somewhat organizations that you, would have, that you would respect. I just received a note today from somebody that said one of the uh, of, um, well-placed theologian in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, BLM all the way, yeah, I knew you were going to think that. That's correct. That organization has been tracking that way for decades. And I'm sure that many others are as well. And so uh, we just have to stand. Just stand. Yes. I saw a, a, someone had painted on their garage door Eternal um, Life Matters, which so I thought was really outstanding. Yeah a little refocus uh, for people there. Yeah, Let's have a prayer as we close. We're just over time here. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to be loving to our neighbors, that you would help us to be discerning, not be naive, help us to uh, be well-informed. Lord, it's uh, kind of too bad we have to spend time going over all these things which come from the world, but we need to be familiar with them, as one of our brothers said, and be able to apply our biblical worldview to it successfully and be able to interact with folks out in the world. Help us to do that, Lord, uh, with love and kindness, recognizing that some are misinformed, some have been duped, others are have been transformed into this kind of social gospel message without maybe even recognizing that that's a departure from the true gospel of Christ. So I pray you'd help us uh, to be able to propagate the true message, and, of course, to be those who bear one another's burdens and those who do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. In Christ's name, amen.